Good morning. Thank you, Sam. And good morning to all of our guests today. So glad to see you all here. It's a, it's a great reason to be here. We're growing the church the old-fashioned way. And uh, these, these little ones are really, really a blessing. So uh, we're, we're really glad to celebrate with you guys today. So it's the last... Uh, we're we're going to have two kind of Christmas messages. Next Sunday will be our second one. Today, I decided to take a look uh, back because we're... Uh, We've been observing Advent, the time of waiting before Christ arrives. Christians have been doing this for centuries as a tradition. This isn't an ordinance that was commanded, but it's a tradition to help us remember the things that, that God has done and, and how He's been faithful to us. And, we, some, and traditions, not, they can be valuable even if they aren't absolutely commanded in the Bible. It helps us remember. And we want to remember His faithfulness. So we, we remember this time of waiting. Advent means coming. So we remember that the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah, the Hebrew word for the anointed one. So Messiah, the Christ is coming to us. For us, it's a remembrance of the waiting. And we really are waiting right now for Christmas, right? And some of us are waiting, maybe not so patiently, for some non-spiritual gifts that may just arrive here in the next few days. And that's all right. As we wait in our Advent season, we, we know how long we will wait. We know exactly how long. We have it on the calendar. We've got four Sundays of Advent, followed by Christmas, the, sun, the Sunday right before Christmas. And we know when the waiting will be over. We know December 25th, that's the day. That's Christmas Day. And we, we have some idea what it will be like on Christmas Day, except for the very youngest ones of us who may not really know. It may be their first time being aware of what's going on. But most of us know what to expect on Christmas. When we think back to the people of Israel at the time just before Jesus came, they've been waiting a long time. And it had been about 400 years since God had spoken to His people through the prophets. So it had been a long time. And there was confusion about exactly what to expect. But about 400 years before Jesus came, God spoke with one last prophet. And that was Malachi. And I want to focus today on Malachi's message for Israel. It was the last thing that he said to Israel before he went quiet for about 400 years. The next man he would raise up would be John the Baptist to announce the coming of Christ. Now Malachi's short book is strong. It's a strong and passionate appeal for repentance. And it's a final pronouncement that he will come to bring justice and to clean and purify his people. Let's pray and then I'll read our focal passage. Father, we come to You this morning and we thank You for all these children. We thank You for Your faithfulness to us. Father, as Chris said, not one thing You've promised has been left undone. You give us so many gifts. And these children are, are precious to us. And we thank You. We thank You that, that You've given, given them to us for a while because they really belong to You. But we get to, we get to have them too. Father, we pray that as we look into Your Word, You'll teach us, You'll stir us, You'll move us, and You'll change us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, from Malachi 3. Hear the Word of the Lord. If any of you are familiar, sorry, if any of you are familiar with the Messiah, the music that was done, this may sound very familiar, and Connie and I got to go, go hear that this week, so it's really fresh on my mind. 
I promised uh, my girls I wouldn't break into song because that might might not be actually the experience you're looking for today. But um, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. So Malachi, the word itself means messenger. He's the last prophet, about 400 B.C. His, his uh, ministry ended. And, and I would encapsulate his message to us with three main points. He's bringing the message from God to the people of Israel, and he's saying three things. Believe me, respect me, and watch for me. He's telling the people of Israel, believe me, respect me, and watch for me. So what do we mean when we say, believe me? Well, it's interesting as we look into the, into the book of Malachi, you can kind of see things going on here. There's, there are two tendencies that he's calling out. The book is very, very much an appeal to repent and do right. And um, it's really not a, for the most part, not a, a gospel-y kind of book. It's mostly a call to repentance. And, but, he, but he calls attention to two things that are happening in, in the body of Israel there, the priesthood and then the people. There's a skepticism that happens where people are, are reluctant to actually believe what God promises. And then there's a formalism where they're going about their daily their, their sacrifices and their ritual worship, but their hearts aren't in it. And they're not doing it with their, with their full, with their full uh, hearts. And God's addressing both of those. So believe me and respect me. Believe me. He says, take my word seriously and trust what I say. Now, we see that, he, that they're doubting whether God loves them. I'm going to read through a few different things of skepticism where they show doubt against God's word. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Um, usually we, we read from the ESV. And uh, that's a very reliable, very reliable translation. But I'm going to read to you this morning from the message a little bit. The message is not actually a translation. It, it's really a paraphrase. And I want to, I want to be clear about that because there, there's a difference between the two. And, and so it's one person sat down and, and wrote in a conversational kind of tone what the sense of these verses was. And so the book of Malachi is very much a conversation. It's Malachi representing to Israel, here's what I hear happening. You're saying this, God's saying this. You're saying this, God's saying this. And I thought that uh, the author of the message, his name is Eugene Peterson, did a really nice job because it just calls out the tone of this conversation. This first one is from Malachi 1. One thing I really like about what he does here in the message, all through Malachi and, and other places you see this term, 
the Lord of hosts. God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts. And we see that term so much, at least for me, I won't speak for any of you, but for me sometimes, that can just go right by me. Oh, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, of course, that's God. I know who that is. But, but what Peterson does is he expands it out. And he, and he does it every time. He doesn't abbreviate it and he doesn't shorten it. So listen for, for how he translates Lord of hosts. This is from Malachi 1. A message, God's word to Israel through Malachi. God said, I love you. You replied, really? How have you loved us? Look at history. This is God's answer. Look at how differently I've treated you. Jacob from Esau. I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. I reduced pretentious Esau to a molehill. Turned his whole country into a ghost town. When Esau said, Edom... We've been knocked down, but we'll get up and start over. Good as new. God of the angel armies, God of the angel armies, said, just try it. See how far you get. When I knock you down, you stay down. People will take one look at you and say, land of evil and the God-cursed tribe. Yes, take a good look. Then you'll see how faithfully I've loved you. And you'll want even more. Saying, may God be even greater beyond the borders of Israel. So this is, this is the message version of that, those first few verses of Malachi. And God is saying, I love you, and Israel's challenging them. Really? Show me how you love us. Because we're not sure we see it. And God says, look around. History tells the story. The people of Israel were doubting whether God was, was good or just or powerful. And, and God called them out. He said, and this is now back from the, to the ESV. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So they're challenging God and His good purposes and whether He is serious about justice or not. Or whether it even matters whether you do good or bad. And, Lord, and the Lord says, that wearies Him. He's tired of hearing that. They have doubted the value of serving God. This is back to the message. God says, you've spoken hard and rude words to me. You ask, when did we ever do that? When you said, it doesn't pay to serve God, what do we ever get out of it? When we did what he said and went around with long faces, serious about God of the angel armies, what difference did it make? Those who take life into their own hands are the lucky ones. They break all the rules and get ahead anyway. They push God to the limit and get by with it. How does that sound? Does that sound familiar? Can you hear people saying that today? So skepticism, this doubt of God's goodness, of His truth, of, what, of whether we can believe Him. And God is calling them out on this in the, in the book of Malachi. Now it's so interesting. These two, these two tendencies of skepticism and formalism that Malachi is seeing in 400 B.C., they're going to bear much more fruit. Because the people aren't really going to listen to Malachi very well. And we're going to see the blossoming of two camps during that 400 years where there's no scripture. We see the, the birth of the Sadducees, who are the skeptics. And they don't believe in the supernatural and they don't believe in the promises. They, 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 they're willing to follow the forms and the rituals. But they care about this world here and now. And then we see the Pharisees. Who, who reduced themselves to formalism, to, to a kind of legalism, where they wanted to follow all of the practices, but their hearts weren't in it anymore. 
And these two camps tended, they ended up dominating Judaism. By the time Jesus came, they were, they, those were the strong powers in the, in the nation of Israel. Now, we're going we're gonna to keep looking at this because we need, to, we need to think a little bit more about this. This skepticism, it is the mark of our age. Our age believes in what we can see and touch. If it isn't material and directly observable, we're skeptical. At least we claim to be. Sometimes we can be really gullible. And our age tends to reject the resurrection too, just like the Sadducees did. But I would ask you, we need to ask ourselves, do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt if God loves you? Because of your circumstances, maybe you're tempted to think maybe He doesn't. Do you ever doubt if He's paying attention to the evil around you? And that could... That could be tempting for any of us because we see so much evil. It'd be tempting to wonder if he's even watching. Do you ever wonder if it's worth the trouble of trying to follow him? Because that's what these Israelites were challenging. But God is saying through his messenger Malachi, yes, yes, he loves you. Look at your blessings. Look at what he's brought you through. Don't focus on what's wrong. Don't focus on the gaps. Focus on what he's given Do you wonder if he's paying attention to the evil around you? Yes, he's paying attention. Justice will come. Don't wish too hard though, because some of the evil is inside of us. We we should be very careful about wishing for, for judgment and justice. We need to remember that his delay is patience. His delay and his patience is for mercy. So we care and we want justice, but we have to be careful how we hope for it. Do we wonder if it's worth the trouble of trying to follow Him? Yes, it's worth the trouble. He promises eternal blessings, but He also promises and blesses us in this life too. Either way, He's your God who loves you. Why wouldn't you follow Him? Your Creator and your Redeemer. Why would you not follow Him? So He's given us three messages. Believe me, respect me, and watch for me. Let's talk about this second message. Respect me. He says, respect me. Be faithful to me. Not just in ritual, but in your heart. And this is addressing this tendency, this this tendency to formalism of the ritual and the doing of the actions without the following of the heart. We see that, it's interesting, you don't see Pharisees and Sadducees in the Old Testament, and all of a sudden in the New Testament, they're they're dominant. You can't get away from them. they, They almost define the conversation. And it's Pharisees that get the brunt of Jesus' criticism a lot of times because Jesus has come and looking for people who love and the Pharisees care about action and following the law. But they don't necessarily love. And Jesus also, lest we tend to swing too far one way and say, well, the law doesn't matter then. Jesus said, I, I came every, every tiny jot and tittle of the law matters. I came to fulfill it all. He didn't throw away the law. He fulfilled it. So he did better than the Pharisees while yet still loving. And that's, we have to remember that. Just because we point our finger at a legalist doesn't mean that we have no, no standards. We have to be very careful about that. But this verse here, um, again, from, uh, from Malachi, if the Lord is our Father, there's a, there's a verse right here in the beginning. If the Lord is our Father, where's His honor? Because He's due honor as our Father. 
And if He is our Lord, why don't we respect Him? That's what He's asking the people of Israel. If I'm your Father, why don't you honor me? If I'm your Lord, why don't you respect me? So from, this is from the message. He's talking about cheating. Them cheating them, cheating God with their sacrifices. And when you say, the altar of God is not important anymore. Worship of God is no longer a priority. That's defiling. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? <coughs> Try a trick like that with your banker or your senator. How far do you think that will get you? God of the angel armies asks you. So he's saying, you respect the powers of this earth who are small and nothing more than you respect me. You wouldn't pull a stunt like this with a man, and yet you'll, you'll give me the, the, the leftovers from your flock. He goes on to say, instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what you, we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored. This doesn't do anything for me. You act so superior, sticking your noses in the air. Act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down. We're broken. We're useless. You think I'm going to accept that? This is God speaking to you. A curse on the person who makes a big show of doing something great for me, an expensive sacrifice, say, and then at the last minute brings in something puny and worthless. I'm a great king, God of the angel armies, honored far and wide, and I'll not put up with it. So God is, God is coming strong with this. You respect people more than you respect me. I've given you instruction and I've blessed you, and you cheat me. And he tells them, you rob me in your tithes. But test me and I'll bless you. He says, begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. So God is saying, he's not just scolding them, but he's saying, I want to bless you and I am willing to bless you and I, and I want you to be faithful to me. Do this one thing that I've asked you to do. If you fail to because I've commanded it, it's essentially robbery. So he's accusing them now of cheating and robbing. Now he's going to say, and you violate your marriages. So this is a, this is a fun and happy Christmas message. I'm glad you could share it with me. Um, so, but God's serious about this. And actually, this is the reason why Jesus had to come, isn't it? Because we have a problem. We have a problem. We're not faithful to God. But he goes on to say, and, th and there was a background to this. In the days of Malachi, the people of Israel had begun, some of the men had begun ditching their Israel, their Jewish wives, and taking up with wives from the Canaanites. So they were getting involved with idolatry and other things and basically messing everything up, being, unfaith being unfaithful to their wives and being unfaithful to God who, who commanded them to be faithful to him. So this is how, this is how uh, the message puts it. And here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. You know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. 
And now you've broken those vows. Broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. So you see this message here. The priests and people are going about activities of worship and rituals. And they're probably feeling pretty good about it. They're making the feasts. They're hitting the schedule. They're doing their stuff like, just like it's commanded in the books of Moses, right? But what is God's response? You're cheats, you're robbers, and you're adulterers. That's what I see. That's what God sees. He is not impressed with form and ritual. He wants to see the heart. And I love, I love, love, love that you called out in the, that we, we did as our confession of faith in Magnificat. I want to just read a couple lines from that. Because we see, we see some real faithfulness here. God is asking for a heart of faithfulness. And we see in Mary, what does she say? And remember, 400 years. 400 years. And Mary's not an old person. How many generations have been since Malachi to Mary that have been faithful in teaching? Somebody has. There's a remnant, right? So what does Mary say? Um, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. She sees it. She's probably a teenager. Most we, we believe that she was probably a teenager, not some mature Bible scholar, but she knows the truth because she's had it handed down through generations of her family of faithfulness. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. That's what she sees. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary is seeing the faithfulness of God, and she's right. It's coming true. So, the last point that Malachi is making, watch for me. He said, believe me, respect me, watch for me. This is the third chapter of Malachi. There's only four chapters in the book. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. In the, in the third chapter of the first book of the Old Testament, we have a promise of one, one who is to come who will crush the serpent's head. Here in this third chapter of Malachi, we have another pronouncement. It's the, it's the passage that I read earlier. Behold, He comes, the messenger of the covenant that you delight in. But who can stand when He appears? These are strong words. So what are some of the things that he's saying here? I will send my messenger. He will suddenly come to his temple. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And what will he do? He will purify. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will purify his people. Sanctify us. Make us right again. And what, and what is the outcome of that? Then their offerings will be pleasing as in the days of old. Because He's going to purify them. Now they can make righteous offerings. Now their hearts can be right. I mentioned that the the first and the last book are pronouncing this coming. And all the books in between talk about it too. We see it clearly. They they describe more detail about the redemption that's to come. And most of these books are quoted in the New Testament as well. The the, the tie-ins are everywhere. The connections that you know Kevin was talking about from the, the kids' school. What does this sound? So who does this sound like? Well, obviously it's Jesus. The Messiah is coming 
suddenly, but it doesn't say when. Because suddenly and soon are two different things. He did come suddenly. And like, like we talked about in our, in our liturgy today, it wasn't always obvious how that was going to look, what that was going to look like. And it was shocking when he came as a baby because of verses like this that say, who can stand when he appears? Well, you don't, you don't expect to be intimidated by a baby. And probably nobody really was intimidated by the baby, but that baby grew up. And he suddenly came to the temple. And what did he do when he suddenly came to the temple? He started purifying. He threw out the money changers. And he told them, you can't do this in my father's house. This was the Messiah who was to come. Now there were no more prophets after Malachi until John the Baptist, 400 years later. And he was the one who cried out in the wilderness. And then he announced, when he saw Jesus, he announced, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw it. He knew what he was seeing. This Lamb of God had come. But John, even John, like Malachi, didn't really bring a gospel message. He brought a message of repentance. Jesus is the gospel message. But before Him comes repentance. And that's what John brought, just like Malachi, his, his predecessor, to prepare the people for their Savior. To conclude, I just want to say a few things. If you guys want to come up with the music. Um, but we now are in a place where we have had the benefit of seeing the Messiah come. Of seeing Him here in this world, physically interacting with us, seeing Him live a perfect life, and then seeing Him die. And a lot of people don't really understand what that is all about. And some people think, oh, what a good man He was. Too good for this world. This world's just a bad place. It's too violent. It got the best of Him because even the best man can't survive an ugly, horrible place like this. But that's not the truth. That's true. It's true that this is a bad place. And it's true that he was the best man. But it's not true that he was overwhelmed by evil. That's what's not true. Because he came willingly. He said, I have the power to lay my, lay my life down and I have the authority to pick it up again. And that's what he did. He willingly gave his life to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to demonstrate that he is the God of all creation. Only he could do that. That's why we worship him as a man. He told us that He would come again suddenly and soon. And Peter warns us not to be too confused about this word soon. Because to God, a day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So soon we don't really know. We don't really know exactly what that means. And Peter cautions us that some people are going to consider the waiting to be a broken promise. But it's not a broken promise. We, we can see all through Scripture fulfilled promises. And just like in our Sunday school lesson this morning, one of Joseph's dreams came through came true immediately. But one of Joseph's dreams took 13 years before it materialized. 13, maybe longer. And, and so some of these prophecies come true now, and some of those, some of them we have to wait for. And some of them we won't see until we die. So soon we don't know, but suddenly is for sure. He will come suddenly again. He has promised that He's coming back. And so we have a parallel where Malachi has given us these messages. 
going into the waiting time. And Jesus gave us messages going into the waiting time. And what is Jesus' message for us? Believe, believe Him. Be saved. Trust Him for your salvation. And after we've done that, tell everyone else to trust Him for, his, for your salvation. We're called to wait faithfully for His return. We need to remember Malachi's message. Believe me. Respect me. Watch for me.